You may have a seat. Good morning, Hope College. It is my uh, privilege, deep, deep privilege, to introduce a brother in Christ, Wesley Hill. Wesley uh, is a fantastic guy. He also happens to be Associate Professor of Biblical Studies at Trinity School for Ministry in Pennsylvania. Wesley writes and speaks extensively, and I would commend to you um, one of the most recent things he's written, a deeply moving and beautiful book called Spiritual Friendship, Finding Love in the Church as a Celibate Gay Christian. Um, Wesley is gonna be with us today, and also tomorrow night at seven o'clock in Graves Hall, Wesley will be on a panel with another, a number of other folks, including two Hope grads, and they will be talking about a theology of singleness. Welcome, Wesley Hill. Thank you so much. It really is a privilege and a joy to be with you this morning in worship. Jesus said, this is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. No one has greater love than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. I do not call you servants any longer, because the servant does not know what the master is doing. But I've called you friends, because I have made known to you everything that I've heard from my Father. You did not choose me, but I chose you. And I appointed you to go and bear fruit, fruit that will last, so that the Father will give you whatever you ask him in my name. I am giving you these commands so that you may love one another. Last week, some of you may have seen uh, the comedian and talk show host Ellen DeGeneres was suddenly in the headlines. She had attended a Dallas Cowboys game and she was caught on camera sitting next to and laughing with former President George W. Bush. To some people, this was absolutely a good thing, a welcome respite from culture warring, a sign that people of goodwill can reach across the political aisle and find common ground. Others, as Ellen said on her show the next morning, were upset. They thought, why is a gay Hollywood liberal sitting next to a conservative Republican president? They didn't even notice I'm holding the brand new iPhone 11, she said. She explained herself like this. She said, here's the thing. I'm friends with George Bush. In fact, I'm friends with a lot of people who don't share the same beliefs that I have. Just because I don't agree with someone on everything doesn't mean I'm not gonna be friends with them. When I say be kind to one another, I don't mean only the people that think the same way you do. I mean be kind to everyone. That's what she said on her show. What interested me were the responses that she got. I found these responses scattered around the internet and all of them, whether they were quote unquote conservative or quote unquote progressive, all the responses seemed to share a belief that only certain kinds of friendship are appropriate or fair or even just. Politically conservative commentators praised Ellen's sense of balance or decorum. 
Rather than bring politics into the football stadium, she recognized President Bush as a, quote, fun. That was what she called him. He's fun. He's a fun person to spend an afternoon with. And she acted respectfully towards someone who should be accorded respect. The assumption here in that kind of response is that Ellen acted rightly because President Bush deserves to be treated with dignity. She practiced friendship correctly, according to that view. Well, politically progressive commentators didn't question the assumption that friendship needs to be based on justice or fairness or goodness. Indeed, they, they absolutely shared that assumption with their conservative counterparts. They simply questioned whether President Bush was just or virtuous enough to merit Ellen's friendship. One person I read on Twitter pointed out that Ellen and President Bush are both financial and cultural elites and that they're sharing a laugh at a Cowboys game was an instance of, quote, the nightmare of class society that turns even the most generous human impulse to find something common across difference into a machine for reproducing hierarchy and injustice, close quote. The ancient philosophers who wrote about friendship all stressed that true friendship must be based on a recognition of the virtue of the person that you want to befriend. You can't be friends with your social or your moral inferior, at least not true friends. You must test potential friends and determine who is worthy of your friendship. The philosophers who talked this way would have understood, I think, the cultural kerfuffle with Ellen and President Bush last week. Friends, at first blush, the gospel passage that I read a few moments ago seems right at home within that same logic or calculus of merit and desert, and worth, decency. Jesus seems to make his friendship with his disciples contingent on whether or not they keep his commandments. Worse, Jesus' words seem to suggest that the disciples are now part of some privileged coterie of insiders, and they're able to look down on others as mere servants among whom they used to be, but now they're no longer servants. They're called friends. But no sooner do those thoughts appear than Jesus immediately wards off any suggestion that his disciples are his friends because of their own superior insight or ability or achievement. You did not choose me, Jesus says. Indeed, according to the beginning of the fourth gospel where that passage comes from, not only did Jesus' disciples not choose him, they actively rejected him at first. He came to what was his own, and his own people did not accept him. Nevertheless, in spite of their indifference, in spite of their rejection, in spite of their unpreparedness, and unworthiness, I chose you, Jesus says. Friendship with Jesus happens at his initiative. When we are unfit and unjust and unqualified to be his friends at all, when he lays down his life for us who were his enemies. I love the line from Martin Luther, the love of human beings, the love that human beings have for one another comes into being through that which is pleasing to it. The love of God, on the other hand, does not find but creates that which is pleasing to it. In other words, 
If human beings select our friends based on their justice or their moral goodness or their attractiveness or their status, God in Christ chooses his friends on the basis of an entirely different metric. Jesus, finding no one who's worthy of friendship, nonetheless befriends sinners, and in so doing, he creates our worth. He makes us worthy. He creates justice. He, he makes us right in and through and as he makes us his friends. He dies for us, and he reconciles us to God. As he does so, Jesus gives us as friends to each other. Because of his love, we are able to practice friendship with one another in an entirely different way than what we see on display in our world. Walking in the way of Jesus' commandments, we can now imitate his love for the unworthy, befriending other sinners like the sinners that we are, as we all together are being transformed from one degree of glory into another as we seek the justice and peace of his kingdom, which is coming. I have called you friends, Jesus says. Now we may go and do likewise. Amen. Go in peace.